Hey everyone, it's Abigail. We have an awesome episode lined up for you today, but before we get started, I want to draw your attention to something. The rapid pace of change in our communities is making it where too many of our churches and nonprofits are in danger of becoming museums. We know you're not happy with that, and neither are we. That's why, while in COVID lockdown mode, we've been spending our time turning our personal training into a model you can get online with a cohort. It's called Start New Advanced. It's an online 12-month cohort-based experience designed to get you reaching your changing community and growing your ministry. It combines over 30 years of our startup experience with learnings from starting 40 new ministries in the last five years. Our Mother Teresa meets a friendly Mark Cuban training, merges Christian theology with lean business principles. You don't waste money, and whatever you start is built to last. Our experienced facilitators walk you through our 12-month curriculum. Every part of the journey moves you toward your ultimate goal, a sustainable ministry and more people following Jesus. All of this online, with a team, without leaving your home or office. And just because the experience lasts 12 months doesn't mean you wait 12 months to get to work. We get you working right away, right out of the gate, so that change can start happening sooner than later. We're launching Start New Advanced this fall, and we want you to join us. Go to 52.com, and right there on the main page, you'll see a banner with the words, Be the First to Know. Click that, and we'll let you know as soon as registration opens, and you can join a cohort. So go to 52.com, click on that First to Know button, and get ready to discover new ways to reach your changing community and grow your ministry. Welcome to the Start New Podcast, where we help you love your community and start great ministries that reach it. My name is Abigail Taylor. And I'm Bill Woolsey. We're part of the leadership team of 5-2 Network, and we'll be your host. Let's get started. All right. Hey, everyone. We are here on the Start New Podcast, and this week, Bill and I are joined by... Chris Kopka, who just informed us that Woo-hoo. he is a poet by passion, a lawyer by training, and business strategist by accident. And then, of course, he tacked on a bread baker, you know, by night or whatever. So, so yeah, so that's who we've got. And we are really excited to kick off this week's episode. Welcome. Welcome, Chris Kopka. Good to see you. Good to hear you. Good to see you. Bill. Hey, well, I, I need to just tee up Chris a little bit because when we started thinking about this podcast, I was like immediately, we got to have Kopka on. And, and I usually just call him Kopka. I mean, once you get to know the guy, <laughs> it, it, he reminds you probably not uh, incorrectly of Kafka. You know, if you've ever read any of his stuff, it's just kind of like, ooh, it's out there a little bit. That's Who's what you Kafka? get with I don't know. Uh, you'll have to go is. look him up. He wrote the Metamorphosis, okay. just a weird, weird oh. short story. Okay. So that, Kopka, that right there is, is Kopka <laughs> brings this, uh, Chris brings this incredibly rich uh, life experience from industry and legal and insurance and all sorts of stuff. Uh, but he then brings it down into as he said uh, earlier, a contemplative kind of fashion and really adding a spiritual component. He has personally uh, coached me, helped me through a number of things. And he and Jonathan Wright's one of our dear friends, also helped create Start New in its seminal form. 
So yeah. I, I just our, wanted to, I'm excited in our house to have you. When I was, I guess, but we were just talking of how I don't think Chris and I have ever met face to face, but I always think of him as like a part of the family because he's been to our, our family house so much, but I don't yes. think our paths have ever crossed. So yeah, so today we're going to be talking about the three most important things to keep in mind when somebody goes to tackle a new launch. And we use the word launch here on the podcast um, because it's very broad and we like that because it can include a nonprofit, a church, or a for-profit. So we believe that a lot of the principles that say for-profit businesses or endeavors use, they also apply to nonprofits and churches and then vice versa. So we really like to marry both business principles with rich theology. And we say it's a Mother Teresa meets a friendly Mark Cuban. So that's what we will be tackling today is really that idea and what do people need to keep in mind when they go to launch. So Chris, excellent. what do you think? <laughs> I think it's going to be fun. What are those, those three most important things? Yeah. I mean, diving right in, um, the most fun I've had is building teams in anticipation of a product launch or a business launch or, or getting a service started. And I learned over time um, to share something along these lines, which is our business results are not guaranteed, but our journey together is assured. And if we look, if we look in the math, if we look in the numbers of launches and starts, and you you know, we started here and we project out two, three, four, five years, about one out of three businesses launches that get launched will still be in some version of business about three, four, five years out, but two out of three won't. And so th those are tough numbers. Um, but what we do know is that the people who are involved in the launch are going to learn a lot, whether the launch continues to be a going concern or not. So hence the idea of our business results are not guaranteed, but our journey together is assured. And so I tend to think about when I'm approaching a launch, when I'm approaching a team, when I'm thinking for myself, emotionally what's going on. So I'll offer some observations about how to get prepped kind of around the emotions, around the head and heart. Spiritually, what are the things I'm doing and what do I need to do? And then functionally, because I do want the business to be successful. I do want the product to create value for people. I do want the service to be of interest to people. So what, what optimizes the likelihood that the business is successful? So th those would be the three, as people are listening, you know, be listening for what's an action I can take around my emotions. What are some things I can do around my spiritual health and my spiritual practices? And then Hey, what's, what are some business tips that, that might increase the viability of my launch? And Chris, you know, again, what I've appreciated about you in the past, and you and I have now been kind of joined at the hip since 2015. That was more formally with Start New, but gosh, for two to three years before that, so seven, eight years at least. Uh, but what I, what I really appreciate is your holistic approach. Right now, you and your wife, Anna, y'all live in Colorado. You're able to spend some time really, uh, you're a big nature guy. Uh, you enjoy nature, but you're also a, a, a huge contemplative guy. You and, and you have this weird, funky haiku thing you occasionally do via text to me and others. 
That's the poet by it's, passion part, Bill. That's the poet by passion. But it's so a joy appreciate... to me, but it afflicts my closest friends. <laughs> okay, yeah, and it, it challenges it challenges us because I've fired back some pretty darn good haiku myself. But you have. Uh, you have. But so so I, I love your emotional, spiritual, and then kind of vocational, right? You know your mm -hmm. your job. You know what it, what is this role that a starter kind of ha he has to embrace it she has to embrace it or else it's just not going to work so so kick us off then let's let's kind of dig into the emotional side of things you've had uh lots of opportunities to yourself i know you're you're in tune with emotion so so dig into that section for us and take us on that on that journey yeah sure um yeah why do i focus on emotional preparation first and um as bill knows i I perhaps uh, spend a little bit too much time in the Gospel of Matthew compared to other things I might be reading, but I'm going to give everybody a spoiler alert, and Jesus does not win the popularity contest. So if you haven't skipped ahead, there's this moment when he cries out, and it's translated into English, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's emotional anguish. You know, theologians have debated how should we interpret this. And maybe he was quoting the whole of the psalm, but we only captured that bit. But, you know, it's tough. Being in ministry is tough. Launching something's tough. Trying to bring people along is tough. Trying to create value for the world is tough, even for him. And that's in part why I start there. Um, you know, I've had businesses I've helped launch in my early 20s that are still existing today. That's really exciting, you know. <laughs> Ego goes up, all that stuff. But, you know, most of the things didn't work out or they changed pretty substantially along the way, et cetera. So that, that's why I start with emotions because it's tough. Um, for the most part, generally speaking, in my experience, it's not our emotions that are going to sustain us. There's other things that are going to sustain us even as we go through the tough stuff. Mm. And there's kind of inside the bucket of emotions, there's three things that have people watch for. The first one, and I heard this from another entrepreneur, and I loved it. And he said, the people who are around us, our family, our closest friends, the people who really care for us, when they're speaking into our lives, when we're about to launch something, when we're about to take a, a, a risk that's a bit countercultural or maybe quite countercultural, he described the loop as it starts with crazy, then you're called stupid, and maybe eight to ten years later, you're finally called a genius. And, like, these are your friends and family members. But most people are, at least in the U.S. culture, majority culture, are, are more or less taught to like avoid risk, don't take risk, get a good pensionable job, all that stuff. And it's not bad advice, but it's not always the appropriate advice for all people, particularly people who are going to try to launch something. So, you know, I try to remember that these people who speak into my life, it's crazy, Chris, why would you do that? And I just did a version of this again, you know, in my own career. You know, Abigail, your dad, Bill, has done this a few times in his career. You have, maybe, maybe you've experienced this, maybe you haven't. Yeah. But when that happens, I need to remember that these people who are saying it's crazy, these people who are calling me stupid, they're saying it out of the bottom of their heart. And then what do I need to do? So one of the things I'd recommend for everybody who's launching or is contemplating launching is – if you don't have a coach, a mentor, somebody who's been on this path before, who will coach you back into risk-taking, because almost all the other voices around you are going to try to coach you out of risk-taking, get that person in your life. It could be a paid professional coach. 
it could be a neighbor down the street that you knew when you grew up and you know she started six businesses it doesn't matter who it is as long as they're there and if you already have one great then the action I'd have you take is send them a thank you card right now don't it, just put the podcast on pause and send them the note right now and then and then hit play again because we want to hear the rest of what the I guess I, I want you to hear the rest of what I'm going to say and where Abigail and Bill are going to bring the questions. But number one emotional tip would be most of the people who care for you in your life are going to try to coach you away from taking the risk. Have the counterpoint. Find the other voice in your life who will be there for you and will do that thing to coach you back into the risk. Not back into stupid risk, but thoughtful risk, prayerful risk, theologically informed risk, is that person in your life? If so, say thank you. If not, go find them. Let me pause there and see if this prompts questions for you guys before I go into my other, my other two emotional ideas. So you qualified at the end, though, when you said not stupid risk. Uh, because obviously, you know, I, I, I tell people if, if uh, you're going to take a risk and there's a chance you're going to lose the house, you probably should talk to your spouse and make sure he or she is okay with that, right? That Absolutely. would be stupid not to not to do that. Yeah. Uh, but but I what I appreciated was the nuance of what you said, and that is, uh, and, and we say this all the time, study after study in the U.S. Twelve to fourteen percent are entrepreneurial. Uh, the rest are not. All right. They they don't they don't get it. They don't understand it. And we go ahead and we actually take that over in Ephesians 4 with the apostolic prophetic evangelist, the generative offices, those are not your mainstream majority of people. And so what I appreciate you saying, Chris, is first of all, you, you have to understand how you are wired differently than most people. Most people, we always, you're crazy thing. We, we've said that a lot. They, they think you're crazy. They, they like security more than not. And therefore, if you're looking for emotional camaraderie, emotional support there, you're probably not going not to find it. Not going to get it. it. Yep. yep. You're exactly. not going to get it. But that whole thing, and we also say, you know, we want you to fail early before the failure is fatal. And so that whole thing of risk, uh, people, people think entrepreneurs love risk. It's not so much we love risk. Uh, we understand it's a necessary part of life if you're trying to grow and do and explore, but there is a mitigation of the risk. And what I hear you saying is the, one of the best ways to mitigate is to get a good counselor. Yeah, I'd say to mitigate the emotional risk mm -hmm. that we're only listening to one set of voices. There's, there's other ways to mitigate some of the functional and the economic risk. risks. Right. But this risk is... Um, I think it's felt by virtually all people who launch and it's not talked about as much um, as should I do a business plan or a business model canvas? How much capital do I need? So we tend to talk about launch quite a bit in functional terms, which is real. And we don't tend to talk about launch as much in emotional terms. And it's, yeah, think, it's really quite rare to talk about in spiritual terms. Go ahead, Abigail. I think Sorry. the reality is launching takes a lot of emotional energy. And it mm -hmm. takes, I mean, I just know from our experience, it affects your whole family. It affects the whole system that you're a part of. So if you're a part of a team system, then it's going to affect the team. And you're going to have to 
filter. It's really that you need somebody to help you filter of, okay, there's all these emotions involved. involved. It's a very emotional time. Who am I going to listen to? And who am I not just going to have to spend all my time convincing? No, I think I'm actually right. Like, I think my gut feeling here and what I think is right. And if you have to spend all your time doing that, then you probably need to get some different voices is kind of what I hear you saying. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'd be curious, Chris, has, has anything ever been, has anything ever been done on the, the gift of intuition and entrepreneurs? Hmm. I wonder if they're more intuitive than the general, I don't, I don't know they are, but I, anyway, what you were saying, Abigail, I just, I started wondering about that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know off the top of my head, Bill. That's a great question. I, I've, I know of other research on entrepreneurs, but um, as you know, I can, I can just drift off into talking about studies all too readily. So I'm going to resist the temptation. So are you guys so, game if I go into the second emotional prep? Yeah, yeah. So, so emotional though, uh, emotional is uh, make sure you have somebody that can uh, affirm uh, your emotions and kind of be a uh, an entrepreneurial risk uh, stake in the ground for you. Yeah, there's there's around emotions. There are three different um, groups of people that I'd have. Are, are folks who are either launching or thinking about launching get prepped for. So the first one is immediate family and friends. Who's going to be the counterpoint? You know, if you happen to come from an entrepreneurial family, no problem. Your aunts and uncles are going to, they're going to be fine. But to, to the stats that Bill quoted, most of us don't. The next group I'd have people watch for and prep for is, um, I've got a friend, Amber, she's been a part of church planning teams and she talks about time inside the bubble. And so this is sort of inside the community of faith. But most of the time when we're launching, even in the context of a faith-based launch, most of the time we're launching in what Amber would call outside the bubble. Um, we're not in our sort of comfy group of people that we know <laughs> who all speak the same language, et cetera. So whether to Abigail's point, whatever our launch is, whether it's a business or a nonprofit or a church, you know, it's not going to be strawberries and rainbows all the time. We're going to experience a lot of rejection. Yeah. What's that? With little unicorns running around. Very, yeah, a couple unicorns, but they're hard to find. They're, they're very quick creatures and they move, they move around. They kind of dash and dart. I've never caught one. I hear they're out there. But <laughs> having not caught the unicorn, it's one of the examples. Like, you know, when we're launching, we're going to face a lot of rejection. We're going to face failure. We're going to face challenge. So there's a lot of valleys. And, you know, I still do this stuff. So, you go, oh, my goodness, this guy's a Debbie Downer. Why is he on the podcast? Because, you know, we've got to coach ourselves through this stuff. So when we're outside the bubble and we're in the midst of our launch and we're bringing some of our ideas and our hopes out to the, let's call it the marketplace, that's emotionally very stressful too. It's a different kind of stress. It's not the same stress as, you know, how do I explain to my family that I'm not crazy? This is how do I continue to face the open marketplace? And for me, what I do is I have a set of daily practices. For me, this is where the emotional meets the spiritual and it becomes very practical. So, you know, no rocket science here, but daily prayer, daily meditation, daily walking, I listen to a wide range of podcasts. Not all of them are from contemplatives, but those are the ones that I tend to turn to for this kind of stuff. And I'm reaching out to other people 
every day. Bill's one of them. That's where he gets the weird haikus. Um, so I'm doing some version of these practices every day. And I'm not saying to others, like, therefore, do the exact same practices I have. But my action here is anticipate you're going to face a lot of emotional stress. You're going to have rejection. You're going to have failure. You're going to have other challenges. Are you going to have successes? Absolutely. And on those days, it's like, I don't feel like I need to pray today. Great. Go get an ice cream sundae and celebrate. Probably still pray anyway. But <laughs> more days than not, things aren't going according to plan. They're more challenging than we thought. The capital is more constrained than we wished. The fundraising objectives are a little bit further out than we hoped. That's life in the launch lane. So, you know, my, my emotional suggestion too is when you're stepping outside the bubble, you're stepping outside your comfort zone, what are the practices you're going to have for you to do? And you're going to, I would recommend you do them daily. They don't have to be the same as mine, but you probably have to have some version of them. Mm -hmm. And maybe... Bill and Abigail, let me pause here for you to each talk about this because some of your listeners will be in the start new process, but not all will. And this right. is something you guys have absolutely anticipated and you've incorporated into how you approach launch. Yeah, by, by all means, uh, the whole daily aspect and really this, this uh, you know, spiritual disciplines and how they apply to your own life that transcends entrepreneurial and starts, but it is especially important in, in this setting. I would say to you, it's important in every part of your life, but in my own life, the more that I found that I'm quote unquote responsible for others, the more critical it is that uh, I'm not, you know, blowing in the wind as Paul would say with every spiritual whim or whatever that I've got a good anchor in my life. And I appreciate how you were saying that, especially uh, in the crazy times, you know, who's that person that's helping you, but also in the crazy times, what are those spiritual disciplines that you're enacting? For me, it's, it's reading of scripture. It's writing. Uh, I have historically done some kind of journaling. And then, you know, here in the last four months, it's five days a week writing a devotional Two-minute multiplier. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so from my vantage, it's not that everybody should have the exact same practices. It's that each of us should discern for ourselves and experience for ourselves what are the practices that are going to serve us in this season. And also not to be so egoic about it and assume, like, I'll figure this out for myself. Like, I absolutely have people around me who can speak into my life. And... Um, you know, sometimes call me on some hard truths and that helps me a lot. Uh, I, I don't necessarily like to help on the moment I'm getting it, <laughs> but usually the next day or the next week or the next month, it's like, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, I really, I had stopped doing that. I needed to do that. Or I had gotten into a rut and I needed to have some new experience, et cetera. You know, we have a really dear friend who does an annual silent retreat. That's not something I've experienced. Anna's experienced it. My, my wife's name is Anna. Um, but so that, you know, the way, what we do can be different for each of us, even how we do it might change in each of our seasons of seasons of life, but that we do it, I think is really crucial. Chris, I want to, I want to double click just for a few seconds here sure. on the meditative aspect. So, uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to look through or read or ever have read, uh, Cal Newport's, uh, work on deep work. And he talks about in, in that book, 
uh, he calls it something, and no, forget it. But it was having it was basically to embrace boredom. Uh, in, in other words, when you're not having to do or perform or uh, arrive at or whatever it is, and to kind of let that let your mind just go. Uh, I, I my wife routinely, you know, will ask me what when I'm riding my bike in my garage, you know, training or you know, what are you thinking about? You know, what do you listen to? Do you listen to some podcasts? I go, no, I actually don't. I I might listen to music or I don't listen to anything. You know, I'm just in a sense letting things go. And how helpful that is for me to try to get a clear mind of sorts. And and then in turn in that meditative time to to be listening for what's gnawing out there. And oftentimes the spirit is seeking to be heard right over everything else so when have you always done the meditative or have you found it more uh when has it been more rich for you and when did it really come full bore for you well boy this is uh i want to come at this through a slightly different angle which is up until relatively recently and by that i mean maybe within the last five six years i'm 51 at the time of recording and I've been involved with varying degrees of entrepreneurship, intrapreneurship, launch, complex business strategy since really since I was 11. I think that's the first little business I started. Mm. Um, wow. Many people in my life had to remind me, cajole me, pressure me. Um, and I was a workaholic. Um, and, you know, Sabbath isn't... Uh, it's not an abstract It's a four-letter word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of times when people launch, myself included, whether we're launching inside a business or outside a business, it's a ministry, it's a tr it doesn't really matter. We just feel so much pressure to produce. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and it's really easy for the launchers to make much of, um, you know, you know, if... You know, it's a generative God. It's a creative God. It's a God who, you know, sure. Yeah, that's a very ego building when you're a launcher, but it's also a God of healing and it's a God of resting and it's a God of contemplation. And um, it's really easy, to, <laughs> at least for me, and I think for many people, it's really easy to fall out of practices that are not only healthy, but they're expected. You know, am I, am I actually taking a day of Sabbath? Well, most of my career, I did not. Did that wear down on me? Absolutely. Did I have people, including my wife, speaking into me like, hey, take a break? Near constantly. So before we even get to meditation, <laughs> you know, and I didn't include this in my, you know, action items, but maybe one of the things we can say emotionally and spiritually is as, as somebody who's launching or is contemplating launch, you also need to write down your in-action items. This is when I will not be acting. I will not be acting on the Sabbath. I won't. Huh. And it's brutal. You know, there's the emails don't stop. The texts don't stop. The worries about fundraising don't stop. But we're meant to stop. You know, we're meant to stop. Mm -hmm. We're meant to start back up again. <laughs> but we're meant to stop. And then on meditation, 
um, I didn't really have a consistent, I didn't return to a consistent prayer practice until my mid thirties. Um, and another day, a different podcast, I can talk about my journey from being kind of a obnoxious, obnoxious agnostic to, a, um, you know, almost like a surreptitious return to faith. Um, but, you know, I, I returned to faith by seeing people pray over the pancakes when they didn't have to. And I saw a depth of gratitude. And I'm a pretty thankful person and I'm a pretty happy person, but I saw this depth of gratitude I hadn't seen um, in myself and I hadn't felt in myself. And so, I mean, honest to goodness, like watching people of faith quietly pray over the pancakes in a business cafeteria was one of the most moving things I experienced. And um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I've gone from being a total doubter on Sabbath and not practicing any prayer and having no idea how to meditate to like, yep, now I'm the guy who would like paint billboards all over America saying, really, really, no, it works. It's good. It's good. It's good. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Yeah, that's, again, that, I, what I have always appreciated about you is that uh, more than a cliche, you have demonstrated that life is a journey and spiritual journey is integral to to what we're doing each and every day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and that brings me, if if we can, to the, like the the third emotional prep I'd expect for people when they're launching in a faith or faith community context. And you know, spoiler alert: in Jesus not winning the popularity contest, he didn't even win it with all the disciples. Right. You know, th there's abandonment, there's doubt, there's backstabbing. Um, I wish that weren't true. You know, most of the people of faith you're going to interact with are going to be awesome. That's my experience. But a few of them are really going to break your heart. And, um, and it's really painful when that happens. So, you know, my, and here's my action step is like, don't assume this is not going to happen. <laughs> the probability that it's going to happen is pretty high. And in that moment, it can be, it can be, frankly, it can just be too easy to just turn your back and, you know, the, the whole idea of like kicking the dust off your shoes and the bottom of your pants, it's not to quit. <laughs> it's to move, it's to the move to the place you're supposed to go and to find the place you're meant to serve, the place I'm meant to serve, you know? So I've experienced this. And um, like I said, you know, almost everybody I interact with is awesome. A few people have been really disappointing and it's heartbreaking and it's emotional. And so what I do, you know, for me, this is oftentimes where, you know, if, if I have that experience, who am I going to turn to? If I see Christians embracing tyranny and it's breaking my heart, that's when I turn to Bonhoeffer. If I see Christians embracing injustice, that's when I, 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 I read fairly regularly Martin Luther King's letter from a Birmingham jail. And, you know, if these, if these people <laughs> could figure out how to recharge and reengage and get going again, in the face of adversity, far worse than I've ever faced, um, I can too. So, you know, um, we need to make room for people of faith being human too. And we need to make room for ourselves that people of faith are going to occasionally disappoint us. And recognize too, like I know I've disappointed other people of faith. And I've figured out like, okay, well, how do I make amends for that over time? But this is a part of launching and it can be especially tough in the context of a faith-based launch, and you'll get through it. 
and you'll find a way. And so for me, you know, this is when I turn to, I turn to reading Lectio um, in many forms. I go back to the gospel of Matthew uh, all the time. You're good um, too. Yep. But you know, so that, so my practice, my tactical practice doesn't need to be your tactical practice, but you know, anticipate that this might happen to you and how, and get ready to respond to it. Could be, you could be, you rely on a spiritual mentor. It could be, there's so many different ways to approach it, but quitting's not the, quitting's not the thing to do. That's my key point here. So you're really Go ahead, jump in, Bill. Yeah, go ahead. It is, it is going to be really challenging emotionally. And so what I hear kind of from, from all three of your different preps is you need to be prepared. You need to not be surprised by the emotional challenge of launching anything new because it's really draining emotionally. And then yep. towards the end there, you kind of got into the, the spiritual side of things. So how does our, our faith and what we believe and, you know, we obviously have a Christian faith. We share a faith in Jesus. So how does that rich theology of presence and faith in Jesus play into going to launch something, even if, say, you're launching something in the for-profit or non-profit sector where you may not think that really plays a role? Yeah. I, oh boy. That's a great question, Abigail. Um, and there's a few different ways to approach this for, for me, you know, this when when the business stuff jams up against the spiritual stuff, right? If, if you grew up in the U S in a kind of a normative cultural context, we all sort of grew up with, with this idea that business and markets are somehow morally neutral. And we grew up with phrases like to the victors go the spoils or buyer beware or the haves and the have nots or possession is nine tenths of the law or to each their own. Or, you know, my favorite from the eighties, cause I was a teenager in the eighties is greed is good. You know, <laughs> and like, <laughs> yep. Yep. So, but then, you know, but then we read the gospels and they're not morally neutral. You know, I'm back in Matthew chapter six here, but you know, who am I serving? Am I going to serve greed? I hope not. I know I've slipped into it. I absolutely have. I'm human, right? So for me, you know, what I draw from your question, and I don't know if I'm going it in the angle you wanted to, but like spiritual preparation involves me realizing that some things that I assumed to be true, all these messages I heard growing up, they don't have to be true for me, and they may not actually be true. So the spiritual prep, prep, prep if you will, is like I, you know, I have to face that. And sometimes I have to reset and sometimes I have to reset over and over and over again, my own moral compass. Um, I'm not anti-business. Bill knows that I'm not anti-market, but I've learned, you know, that business environments aren't always the easiest settings for resetting my moral compass. And so where am I going to turn? What am I going to do to do that? And, um, and really, really, what is your moral compass based on, based upon, correct? Right. And that's right. that. Right. I, I want to go back to what you said earlier, and I thought you were going to go here and you didn't, at least uh, you did not articulate it. And that is when, in essence, in so many words, when people fail you, okay, oh. you know, and when you fail people uh, and, and they're on your team or they're close to you or whatever, especially if you're uber team minded, which you are, I am, everything I've ever started has always been with the team. Uh, and, 
and I, I, I go back to one uh, church planter years ago, uh, and he had launched about six months to year for me and had had a, a very effective launch in uh, Southwest Houston. And I sat with him and I kind of told him some of the frustrations we were having, and especially where uh, people that were on the team were like, this isn't what I signed up for. Or, uh, you know, and the metaphor I've always used is the, the person leading the charge can see very clearly what they're trying to build, but there's no way they can articulate it well enough that others can see it that clearly. And so he used the metaphor of saying, you know, they can see the skeleton, but you see every pore. Uh, and and like there, therefore, you're going to get to a point that people are going to say, you know, I thought, uh, he was going to be blonde and he's, you know, he has brown skin. He's not even Aryan or whatever it is. Right. And they're just like, this is not what I signed up for. And you're going to lose them. And, and I've always thought about that. And on one hand, if you kind of understand there are going to be people who won't see it through as long as you see it through for a variety of reasons, how does that, what does that do to your emotions as far as relationships because there would be some tendency, right, to keep people a little bit at bay. Because if you get too close and they are like all in with you, I mean, I've had some heart-wrenching where dear friends go, I no longer agree with you. I no longer want to be a part of this thing. And it's like your heart is ripped out, you know. Uh, and yet, uh, you go back and do it again and, and you, you know, you get, so there, it's, it, I don't hear you saying, don't don't value close relationships or hold people un- at an arm's length don't hold people at not arm's at length all. but understand that not all of them will uh will go with you to the end for sure yeah that's i mean that's simply functionally true um and you know maybe bringing it back to a spiritual framework is even those disciples who openly or privately expressed doubt, there can still be a way to keep them on the bus or articulate a role from on the bus. You know, we see Jesus do this with almost all the experiences of doubt. (laughs) Um, So just because somebody expresses doubt, that's not a reason for me to kick them off the bus, even though that might be emotionally wrenching. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the spiritual I I was kind of talking even more than that, where they literally said, I don't want to be on the bus anymore. Yeah, and that's true too. You know, I, I, you know, I have all these maxims and cliches, and Abigail Bills heard at least a third of them, probably half by now. But I used to tell team members, um, well, let's talk functionally for a second. There are a variety of different ways that we can graph different types of talent that are needed in the context of concepting, initial launch, launch through startup start up into scale up, scale up into robust operations. What happens with robust operations when new market players come into the market and challenge those operations, and then you can even see decline. So the kinds of people who are incredibly adept, it's, it's a rare person who's adept at all of those functions. It's just really hard to have mastery over every possible part of the business cycle. Right. And, you know, maybe that's that unicorn I've never found yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, so if we're going to be 
real with people and real with ourselves, we can talk honestly and openly about that. That, you know, startup talent, yep. And then we see some people lag off and then they go into scale up talent. And as it's scaling up, we see some people lag off. Um, you know, I know somebody who says turnaround talent is short-term talent. Turnaround talent usually comes in when there's a problem. They have to make decisions that aren't favored by many people. They're, they cannot be pleasers. And then once the tough work's been done, they usually leave because they can, they certainly don't make a whole bunch of friends in the midst of a turnaround and they may even make some air quotes enemies. So yeah, this is one of the, this is one of the brutal facts of launching that the people you start with aren't necessarily the people who scale myself included. So that business I was talking about that I helped launch in the, my early twenties, I haven't been there for 25 years. You know, they're doing just fine without me, probably better without me. <laughs> so, what you know, as we launch, just out of curiosity, what business did you launch? So, so that one that I'm referring to is a, a printing company in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So huh. we observed that there was a gap in the market for a smaller scale printing company that would create jobs in the urban core environment for you know, quote unquote, at risk people. So it was a jobs program and it was a printing program. And we were able to differentiate on um, essentially having the same price, not lower prices, but with a, a community impact, creating jobs where jobs hadn't been previously. And, um, you married a product so with a cause in a sense, kind of a social linking product cause. to a cause. Yep. 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 Social is a social entrepreneurship in a way mm -hmm. before it was called that. Yeah. Um, but what we can see is that, you know, that business has iterated a few times over the years. Um, some of those iterations in the early days were when I was there. Um, but all of them since then have iterated with long without me. I, I would imagine most of the people there today have never even heard my name and that's okay. You know, five, two, Bill and I have talked about this five, two has been through at least three major iterations. That's good, you know, <laughs> because it's adapting to the needs you know, it saw a need when it launched and it's adapted to needs as it's changed. Um, and the people who I've met some of the early founders or, or launchers or whatever we want to call it of five, two, and they were amazing people. And some of them are right. still with five, two and some aren't, and that's okay. Well, as you can tell, we covered a lot of good deep ground in this conversation with Chris, but it was just too much for one episode. So we are breaking it into two and we invite you to listen to the Start New Podcast episode six next week for the conclusion of this great discussion. As always, thanks for listening and we hope you have a great week and that this helped you love your community and start great ministries that reach it. Hello, Abigail Taylor here. If you haven't already, go ahead and hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and you will be the first to know when a new episode of the Start New Podcast drops. Also, if you enjoy these episodes, will you please leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts? I know it's kind of a weird thing to ask for, like, hey, go tell us we're awesome, but really, please go tell us we're awesome. It really does help with rankings, it helps other people find us, and it helps us get the word out about this new endeavor that we've begun. So hit subscribe, leave us a review, you're the best, and we'll talk to you next week.